Amen. Thanks, Kelly. <clears throat> okay, so you're going to want to grab your Bible because we're going to be all over the place this morning, okay? Um, <clears throat> okay, so the title of my little, uh, my little session here is uh, The Call of Salvation. The Call of Salvation. Oh, good. So, John, are you going to advance those for me? Well, that's, I mean, don't give them the key to the sauce right away. I mean, let's start at the beginning. Um, but you'll advance those for me, do you mind? Or you'll get your able assistant, Josiah, to do so? Okay. So the call to evangelism. Romans 8.30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So in this verse, you see this... Um, this span of all of time, right? From before the world was made, predestined. That's just God planning in eternity past, just, right? We're not around yet. The world hasn't been made yet. Um, all the way to glorified. Glorified is when Jesus Christ returns and gathers up His church and we are made to be like Him. That when when we ha when we lose this this uh, sin cursed body that we live in, right, and are given glorified bodies, bodies that are that are not under Adam's curse, bodies that are like the body that Jesus has today, uh, bodies that are fit for heaven, right. So that's the the two ends of the timeline, right. Um, to be justified is to be uh, counted innocent of our sins, right. To to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness, right, where we're responsible and liable for our sins, condemnation's coming, over to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, of the redeemed, where we are uh, forgiven of our sins and we are counted righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Um, so those are the elements in this timeline, except for that word called, and that's what we're going to focus on. I've got to do a little bit of work to get to that place. But that's where, that's where we're aiming, okay? So let's talk about the gospel call, okay? So we've been talking about uh, the fact that we all need to go out and share the gospel to, to call people to faith. Um, where does that originate from? Well, of course it originates from the Great Commission, right, that Jesus uh, issued uh, to his disciples. The Great Commission speaks of calling the world to follow Jesus, to hear the gospel and believe. Um, notice, um, as we look at some passages, um, you'll quickly come to the conclusion that this is a universal mission. Um, it's, it's not a mission that is uh, designed only for those people that are gifted in evangelism. This is one of those universal calls that all, all Christians everywhere um, are to engage in. And this is consistent throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts. Uh, so let me um, let me read a, a familiar passage right at the end of Matthew 28. We just finished the book of Matthew at the end of last year, and uh, and and you'll remember these words: Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." Go, therefore, and make disciples, hold on to that phrase, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we're going to dip back into this passage a couple times in, in my, my talk here, um, but I just want you to think about that idea of going and making disciples. Without any other information, that's kind of a, a quizzical phrase, right? What does it mean to go make disciples? Do I have that sort of capacity? Uh, how do I make them? What, you know, how does that take place? Well, if we simply look at the parallel passages in the Gospels and in Acts, we're told very plainly how making disciples, uh, how, how it is that we go about to make uh, disciples. So listen to Mark 13.10, um, Mark's version of the Great Commission, if you will. Jesus says, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. See, uh, Mark is very succinct there, right? And he says, Mark, Mark doesn't even mention making disciples, but specifically tells us how to do so. That the gospel must be first proclaimed to all the nations. So, so the gospel requires speech. You've heard me, you've heard me uh, condemn that little uh, 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 quote that, that people will utter, you know, we're going to preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Garbage! We have to wor use words to preach the gospel, right? Now, the sentiment of that quote is true. We need to live out the gospel as well. But living out the gospel will never save anyone. Nobody will be made to be a disciple unless you speak and speak the gospel, right? So that's what Mark helps us with. Um, then we move over to Luke 24, uh, verses 44 and following. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that, are you paying attention? And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Forgiveness and repentance from sins. So now Luke gives us even more, right? Uh, he fills out Mark's go preach the gospel, go proclaim the gospel. Luke says you have to talk about repentance from sins and forgiveness uh, of sins as, as a, 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 and, and specifically in his name, in Jesus' name. That is, he's the one that brings it about. Um, and then, if you're not convinced yet, we go to Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are called to be witnesses. What's a witness do? He testifies. He speaks of what he knows, what he has seen and, and come to believe and, uh, and, and, and you'll notice that, that, uh, that Acts very specifically talks about the, that ever-widening circle, right? Um, witnesses in Jerusalem, where they're at, and in Judea, the region that they're at, and Samaria, the next region, and even to the ends of the earth. So you see that local, regional, and far-off ministry. Uh, of the gospel. So this is the basis. This is where this is where the gospel, uh, the the command to go preach the gospel originates. But but right on the heels of that, we've got to understand that this isn't one of those, um, you know, if you feel led to do it, go ahead and do it, or or when you get around to it, uh, you know, get involved with the mission. Uh, but the Bible also tells us that it's an urgent need. It's an urgent thing that we preach the gospel. 
So right away, two things. Well, let me, let, let me give you a couple of, 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 of texts to support that. And then I want to talk about two things I want you to think about before we move further. So the, again, the scripture talks about the importance and urgency of the gospel call coming through God's people. It's highlighted in the New Testament. Listen to Acts 3.23. Peter's preaching here. And he says simply this, every soul who does not listen to Christ shall be destroyed. Let that land on you for a minute. Those people that don't hear the gospel, those people that don't obey the, the gospel call, they will be destroyed. And it's not a, when we think of destroy, we think of like a building being leveled, right? The biblical idea of destroyed uh, eternally it is this never-ending destruction, this never-ending terror of being destroyed, of, of having the wrath of God never let up, always eternally coming upon you for disobeying the gospel. Let that, let that have its effect, friends. Romans 10.14, you can hear the urgency in, in Paul's words. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? You feel the urgency in those words? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Before I read this, I just want to I want to preface this by saying saying we're going to mention election. We're not going to we're not going to spend a great deal of time there. But there are those that pit the doctrine of election of predestining those who will be saved against the urgent need uh, to, to share the gospel, as if those are mutually exclusive things, and I'm here to tell you that they are not, right? So Paul, we can, we're going to go to Paul to prove the point that God elects those who, who will be saved. This is the same Paul that writes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to, listen to how he crafts these sentences. First he starts off and he says, If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, speaking for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You hear the urgency of that language? So before we write off this idea of, well, if God's in the planning of who will be saved, then you know, you know, why should we even uh, go out and share Christ with people? Listen to Paul here imploring, pleading with people to hear the gospel message and believe. And then simply Jude 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. I hope these verses suffice to make the point that there is an urgent need for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So two things now. Think about this. Number one, have you been engaged in the universal mission? When's the last time you opened your mouth and actually explained the gospel of Jesus to someone. Friends, that's the only way someone will be saved. 
Do you spend much time, this is my second point, do you spend much time thinking about the urgent need, seeing people with that lens? The people that you work with, the people that, that, that live around you, the, the people in your own family, the, the, the people that you have uh, you know, long-term relationships with that you see only occasionally. Do you think about what will happen to them if they don't hear the gospel message and believe? This is, the, this is where we need to start so that we become impassioned, that we, we start to see people and the world and our purpose for being here in the way that Jesus does. All right, third point. And this seems like a wet blanket being thrown on it now. Not all will believe. Not all will believe. Even if you're faithful. Even, even, if, you, even if you have repented of your, your lack of engagement in Christ's mission, even if you're praying for the lost, even if you're seizing those opportunities and sharing the gospel, not all will believe. Not all will heed the gospel call. And we know from experience that many tragically reject the offer of the life-giving good news. Notice how that pattern was even seen in the history of the Old Testament people of God. I'm going to go pretty quickly here, but I just want to paint this picture. This is the thread that runs through the Scriptures. We all think about, oh, well, at least Israel's saved, right? At least the nation. I mean, the pagan nations around Israel, sure, they're going to have destruction, but all of nation Israel's bulletproof, right? Well, the ladies know this in particular from studying Deuteronomy is that it's not so. Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses says, You have come to the hill country of the Amorites, just outside the promised land, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Next chapter. 38 years passed until the entire generation, that is the men of war, had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. The vast majority of the people rescued from Egypt that walked through the parted Red Sea died in the desert because they wouldn't believe. And let that hit you, right? Not all the people who were born into the nation Israel were accepting of God's salvation. God demonstrated it in the wilderness outside the promised land, as, as Deuteronomy records, and God said it plainly through the Apostle Paul. Here, Romans 9, verse 6. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. These are counted as offspring, right? Those who believe the promise. Those who hear the message of salvation and put their trust in it, put their trust in God, right? The New Testament also has much teaching about those who encountered the good news of the kingdom, made some kind of commitment, some kind of decision, but in the end their profession of faith proved false. Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? You know that passage. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. We could look at the parable of the sower. We could look at the parable of the weeds. All of these demonstrate that there are people that hear the gospel message and make some sort of move towards it, some sort of decision, but in the end prove not to be genuine. 
So we see that not everyone will heed the call to believe Christ and be saved, even if they are born into the people of God. That means in our own families, even if they claim to follow him, not all will truly believe. Jesus, in fact, predicts this as he sends the 12 out in Luke 9. Uh, and you can look that up, Luke 9, 1 to 5. You can look at Matthew 7, the narrow gate and the broad way to destruction. You can look at the parable feast, uh, parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22. All of these passages speak to this. Not only, friends, not only will uh, there, not, not only will will there be people that won't believe. We have to start off with this idea that none are able to believe. In fact, as we read our Bibles, we discover that no one is able to hear anything from the Spirit and believe, not in their own right. So recall Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. Listen to the language now. Don't, don't rush off to verses 7 and 8. Think about these early verses in that chapter. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the first three verses of Ephesians 2. Notice that Paul wrote that people are not sick in trespasses and sins. They're not very, very weak in trespasses and sins. They're not even terminally ill in trespasses and sins. They're dead in trespasses and sins. That means spiritually dead. Spiritually dead people don't hear spiritual language and understand that. Dead people don't do anything. They just lie there dead. That's the metaphor. Don't read into it any more than that. He specifically picked that word that we, are, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Notice those dead in sins follow the evil course of the world and Satan who works in them. There are powerful evil forces at work upon spiritually dead people. What do spiritually dead people do? They follow fleshly things, right? They, 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 they follow the evil course of this world along with all of the other spiritually dead people and, and Satan himself who is king over all of these spiritually dead people. King with a small K, you understand. And what's more, they live according to the passions of their sinful flesh, as everyone born in this world under Adam's curse does. Right? Did you hear that when he said, um, where is it, right at the end there? He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And then he ends the, the, that verse with, like the rest of mankind. The universal curse. And if that's not troubling enough that the people that we're supposed to go into the world to preach the gospel to can't understand it, they're spiritually dead, right? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural person, that's the person that's just naturally born into this world, that's not a Christian, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God 
for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So here's your mission. Go take the gospel to your neighbor. By the way, they're spiritually dead. And uh, everything that you say to them of the Spirit, they're going to think is foolish, and they're unable to understand them. Go. Be successful. You see the hurdle? It's a huge hurdle. It's an insurmountable hurdle in our own strength, in our own power. Uh, How impossible of a task is this? We are expected to share the gospel. We can expect rejection, and the people we go and talk to uh, are, are people that are uninterested and dead, and they're, and, they're, and they're not capable of grasping anything that we say. And yet the success of the Great Commission is assured. The success of the Great Commission is a foregone conclusion. Look at that quote. Those whom he predestined. He also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What tense are those verbs in? Past tense. To God, it's done. All that he has predestined in his mind are already glorified. He's just waiting for us to catch up. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful truth? The the success of Christ's mission is Assured. It's assured because God has promised that it will be. Somebody, somebody read for me Genesis 12, 1 to 3. And when you do, give me an emphasis on verse 3. Who will do that? Is that Grant? Genesis 12, 1 to 3. And here's the emphasis right here. That's the promise that the gospel will reach the nations. It's in the very first words that God utters to Abraham before there's a nation. And and we might stand back and we say, how in the world could God promise that he's going to bless the nations through Abraham's lineage? Friends, He's talking to an old guy who's got an old wife that can't have kids. And he said, you're going to have a great nation. This is the God that does the impossible. The angel said as much to Mary, right? And so God promises the success of this mission way back in the first book of the Bible, right? And then if that's not enough, we get it from Jesus' lips. Somebody give give me Matthew 16 and verse 18. We'll do that. Is that Chloe? Matthew 16, verse 18? Just making sure nobody's falling asleep around here. Actually, Chloe, if you'll start Matthew 16 and start in verse 15, 16, 15 through 18. 16, 15 through 18. Real loud.
Isn't that a beautiful promise? There's so much in, thank you, Chloe. There's so much in those few verses, right? What is Jesus going to build his church upon? People like Peter that profess, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. On the testimony, and it's not testimony that Peter himself has sort of put together, right? The father had revealed that to Peter, right? So we, we are invested then in this powerful testimony upon which Christ says, I will build my church. And oh, by the way, the strongest powers that will face up against you, that, that will post up against you, if you're watching NCAA tournament right now, right, that will try to defend against your scoring and victory, right? I will, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevent it, Right? How do we know that the great commission that we are called to will be successful? Because God has guaranteed it. He has, he has promised it with his, with his very word. The Bible speaks of people being elected unto salvation. This runs right alongside this. If we, friends, if God's going to say that he's going to build his church and bring the blessing of, of God to the nations through Abraham, then it only makes sense that he's already had this plan in place before he rolled out creation. And indeed, we read of such things like in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The beloved's Jesus. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What's the purpose of God that keeps being referred to in these verses? The purpose of God is what he has promised to do. Bring his blessing to the nations. Build his church. That's his will. Who could stand against his will? Who could thwart his will? Nobody and nothing. I mean, we read all through the Old Testament about all of these, um, what, threats to God's promise coming, coming true, right? We see them everywhere, right? Threats, uh, threats to, even right away with Abraham, right? Sarah gets taken by Pharaoh, right? Oh, no, how are they going to have a great nation? God comes to him in a dream and says, you better let her go or I'll smoke you. Right? God, God's in complete control of his church being built. It, in other words, all of these hurdles that you and I build up in our minds, I gave you some huge hurdles, right? The people you talk to aren't even going to understand you and think you're stupid and foolish, right? But we, we lop onto that all kinds of other you know, reasons, like, oh, I'm not really a, an outgoing person. I'm not confrontational. Um, I, those are just cowardice words. I'm sorry, that's what they are. Walk in faith, friends. Jesus has, has promised that this mission will be successful. And oh, if that's not enough, back to Matthew 28, right? Flip over there so you can you have your eyeballs right on those words. Matthew 28, right at the end of the chapter there, verse 18. Jesus says, to those who doubt it, Right? Some doubt it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it's out of, the, that's all the authority there is. Authority in heaven and authority on earth, right? 
Remember, in Colossians, we read all authority that, that there is, Jesus possesses. And out of that authority, he says, go make disciples. And, and, and at the end of the passage, he says this. Look at those glorious final words. I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm going with you. You're not going alone. You're not simply hearing Jesus' authority and going out on your own. He's going with you. He will be with you. Remember all of the teaching in the Scriptures about when God is with His people. Remember Joseph, end of Genesis? Everything he did succeeded. Why? Because God was with him. You see the promise? It's, it, it, it's assured. Okay, so if we, now this is, this is the, the uh, you know, 50 minutes of, of foundation for the five minutes of what's the gospel call. If we're going to obey God's command for us to make disciples and be his witnesses, how does it work? With the hurdles on the one hand and God's guarantee of success on the other, how does it fit together? It fits together because there's two different kinds of gospel calls. First, there's the general call of the gospel. God's people, you and me, we go share the gospel. Joel and Misty share the gospel in Japan, and, and Ben and Sarah share it in Poland, and, 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 and uh, Jorge and Daisy share it in Little Rock, and, and, and Pierre goes to Haiti and encourages and, 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 and helps the, the brothers and sisters down there to share the gospel there. They use their words, they speak, they usher a or rather, they, they issue a general invitation. They call everyone everywhere to believe. It's a verbal, with words, external, out loud so people hear it, a verbal external call. And it can be rejected, as we've said. Right? It can be rejected. Second Thessalonians 1, when Jesus returns, Second Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8, at the end of the age, he will inflict vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. There will be those who will not accept your external general invitation. But there is another call. That's the call from up there. There is another call. It's called an effective call. Or, if you want the old-fashioned, an effectual call. This, this is not an invitation to be saved but a divine summons unto salvation. Look, look at Romans chapter 1 for a quick minute here. i got so much work to do in four minutes. Okay. If you want to talk about this more, I love to talk about this. Invite me over for a cup of coffee and we'll talk about it for three more hours. Okay? All right. Chapter 1 of Romans. Paul, the servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. That was not a general invitation. That was a divine summons from the king, the king of heaven, that said, you will be my apostle. And that same call is how people come to Christ. Tom Schreiner, uh, commenting on it, says this, those whom God calls are powerfully and inevitably brought to faith in Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. The call of God is extended only to some and is always successful so that all those who are called become believers. It comes through the agency of our proclamation, right? 
click forward in one, I totally forgot about my PowerPoint. Keep going, keep going. Okay, God's grace from first to last, one more time. We'll come back to that side in a second. Okay, so that's my, that's, that's my, my, my graphic design daughter's cringing right now. God calls through the voice of his saints, right? So you see that by gracious command, the king calls men to salvation in Jesus Christ. When the king calls, people come, right? They come, they, they, they see the beauty of salvation and they can't resist. But that divine call, that divine effectual call comes through Misty's evangelistic Bible study and, and Ron helping a neighbor while talking to him about the gospel and Susan warning her friend about the wages of sin and Josiah telling a classmate about how God saved him and, and Rachel telling Quinn about what Jesus did and Jocelyn talking to a grieving friend about Christ's offer of life. As you and I all engage with the gospel, that it doesn't always come, but that's the only time it comes. When you and I share the gospel with a friend, Sometimes, sometimes the mercy of God is heard in the voice of the king saying, you will believe. That's why the mission will succeed, right? This effective call comes through the agency of human proclamation, but it is itself an internal spiritual call through it, the Spirit brings spiritual rebirth so that the natural man of 1 Corinthians 2 is no longer a natural man. He becomes a spiritual man. And spiritual men understand spiritual things. They're spiritually discerned and they get it because the Spirit's right there explaining it to them. Isn't that a glorious truth? Doesn't that encourage you on the gospel mission, friends? That sometimes when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody, the king's behind us saying, it's your time. Come. Enter into life. When God calls a man to salvation, they always come. They're converted. Can you go back one slide there? It, 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 it's, it's grace from first to last. Right? So, so God elects people unto salvation. Then He calls them through our call whenever God determines. Right? He justifies them, makes, makes them innocent of their sin on the basis of their faith in Jesus. They become righteous in God's eyes. They, they, are, they, are, they are born again so that they're spiritual people. They are converted from death to life. Uh, right? They are, I've mentioned they're justified. They are sanctified. That means they become more and more holy in this life. And finally, they're glorified in the end. Living in Jesus without the curse of sin, nothing but joy to the fullest in God. Right? So, so God gets all the glory for salvation. Right? We boast in Him. Right? You and I don't have the stuff to make disciples on our own. But he calls to go, he tells you, go make disciples. He goes with you and he gives you the gospel, the Romans 1:16, power of God unto salvation, testimony to go share with people. Right? 
or the 1 Corinthians 1 way of saying it, right? To those who are perishing, the cross of Christ is foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And we go, in that, we go with that message. So I hope that's an encouragement to you. I hope that's an encouragement to get up and get on the mission and go with God's powerful uh, gospel and call people to believe. And friends, sometimes, in the mercy of God, people will come because He calls through your call.